So I'm going to introduce ourselves. I am Everett Alexander. This is my wife, Emily, and we have three daughters. I think we have a picture of our girls. So we have Caitlin at the end there. So Caitlin, Sarah, and, uh, and Rachel is our middle daughter there at the end. So, so the middle daughter there is Sarah. She is a junior in high school, and when we started coming to re-engage, she was in... Fifth grade. She was in fifth grade. And so we were on the verge of divorce, and we're about to tell our story. But this place just, it's just, it's so, um, so awesome to us. And we just love this ministry so much. So thank you guys for letting us share tonight and share our story. Mm-hmm. We're excited. <clears throat> so we, um, I have a tendency to ramble. And so I'm going to read tonight, and you guys are going to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) So like I said, I'm Everett, and I did not grow up in a Christian home. My father was an alcoholic, and my mother lived with chronic back and neck pain due to a car accident when she was young. They married at 16 and had me and three sisters by the time they were 22. We always struggled financially and never lived in one place more than a year. I moved over 20 times before high school. And we weren't in the military. Because of this, I struggled with insecurity and did not know how to develop deep relationships with people. The, con- the conflict in our home was constant and chaotic. It would be explosive, and then we would pretend that it didn't happen. It was usually about my dad's inability to quit drinking. His constant choice to choose alcohol over me left me feeling like I wasn't very valuable or enough. Another rock that shaped my young life was being sexually assaulted by a man. In order to prove that I was normal, I became sexually active at 13. My parents eventually divorced, and it left me feeling like I had to choose sides. I was devastated. At this point, my parents let me move in with a girlfriend and her mom. My insecurities grew, and I hated authority. I ended up quitting school at an early age. And at 16, my girlfriend broke up with me, so I had to move out. And in my brokenness, I cried out to God. I was invited to church and found Christ. So this church was different than anywhere that I'd been before. For the first time in my life, I felt like I could be myself and that people loved me. I became very involved in ministry, and the church became my world. Because of my unhealthiness, I I quickly began to get my value from man instead of God. I developed a strong need for the approval of others and would work really hard to get it. This began a vicious cycle of high highs and low lows, depending on what others thought of me. All right. We're going to tag team a little bit. I also did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, We did not go to church. And my only exposure to God was a church camp that I went to every summer down in South Texas. Uh, once I went to a youth group when I was 12 years old and I heard the gospel for the first time and I didn't want to be the only one to go to hell. (laughs) So I raised my hand and, um, accepted Christ. And that night I went home and I sat on the end of my parents' bed trying to fervently explain that if they didn't accept Jesus, they would be going to hell. (laughs) They did not receive this well (laughs) and I actually called the church to complain Needless to say, I did not go back, and it left me with very mixed messages concerning Christ. My teenage years were rebellious and painful, and although I made very good grades, I was out of control and looking to be loved. 
These years included a lot of drinking and promiscuous behavior. This led to much rejection and despair. I never felt good enough, and I didn't know why I wasn't enough for anybody. During these years, my mother had breast cancer and isolated from everyone. My father had an affair and left my mom for a period of time, and my brother left to go to the Air Force Academy. Feeling very alone and unloved, I tried to commit suicide twice. My parents did try to get me help at this time and put me in counseling. They also put me in a Christian private school. During this time, God began to tug on my heart, although my behavior did not change um, at all until college. In college, my on-again, off-again high school boyfriend broke up with me, and out of my despair, I began to seek a God that I really did not know. Shortly afterwards, um, a friend from work invited me to church, and I knew I desperately needed God's forgiveness for all of my poor choices, and I gave my heart to Christ. And at the same time, actually on the same day, I also met Everett. Hallelujah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, when I met When Emily and I met, I knew that she was the one for me. She was beautiful and had a great ability to communicate. Although while dating, there were red flags about our ability to work through conflict. And some of you will relate to this. She um, was a pursuer and I was an avoider. And so that worked really well. Um, I thought this would go away after we got married. Actually, I thought I was a pretty great guy, and my future wife was getting a pretty good deal. <laughs> Let me explain. So my dad, I'm going to go off script for just a second. My dad didn't set a really high bar for me, and so I knew that I wasn't an alcoholic like him. I knew that I loved God. I knew I wasn't going to cheat on her. I didn't you know, do all these things. So the bar was really, really low of the expectations of a husband. So what could we possibly have conflict about? I was going to tell her that I loved every day, loved her every day, and so on. Unfortunately, these unrealistic expectations led to major, major conflict and bitterness um, between us over the next 11 years. Uh, our dating was fun and exciting for me. I had just gotten saved. I had met a man that loved me um, for me, if I could be myself with him. He did not try to pursue me physically, and he seemed to love me for who I really was. I could totally be myself. He was good-looking and the most genuine person I'd ever met. He loved people, and he had a strong relationship with the Lord. This was amazing to me that there was somebody like that. I couldn't believe that he loved me, too. And this was so appealing to me that I didn't see any of the red flags that were kind of screaming at us. When he asked me to marry him, I jumped at the opportunity, and we were married after we dated for about a year. And instead of growing in my relationship with Christ, I focused on my relationship with Everett. Looking back, there was trouble when we dated, and whenever conflict arose, I wanted to talk about it, and Everett didn't. And the more he avoided it, the more I pursued until he would explode. I did not know how to make or keep healthy boundaries, and I was more concerned about how Everett felt about me than I was about Christ. I thought when we got married that that issue would go away, but it didn't. (laughs) Yeah, so in our early years, I put ministry and really everyone's opinion before Emily, and I guess I had kind of conquered her. Once we got married, it was kind of like, now she's she's mine, you know, and then we went back to putting others' opinions and stuff before her um, to make myself feel better, and that went on for a long time. And so when she wanted to talk about 
when she wanted to talk about conflict, I would either shut down or have explosive anger. I used sarcasm as a way to express my feelings to her and would usually not say anything unless she was criticizing me first. So I was a real introvert. I would just be quiet and then I would explode. This made it very difficult for her to approach me about anything, and I was pretty okay with that. Deep inside, I wanted peace in our home but did not know how to get there. I had a heart-to-heart towards Emily over all these years and did not know how to break through the bitterness. So after we were married, conflict began right away. I was selfish, and I had high expectations that Everett's sole mission in life was to make me happy and to fulfill me. I always thought I was right and that my ways and my ideas were better. I was constantly unhappy and critical of him. I was aggressive in my approach and very overbearing. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I was not gentle, and my words were extremely harsh. I did not handle it well if he was unhappy with me. I felt that if Everett was unhappy with me, that God was unhappy with me too. And over the years, we attended marriage conferences, counseling, anything you can think of, and nothing changed. Our fights got worse and worse, and it seemed constant. As our marriage grew cold, I tried to search out ways to feel significant again. I did not understand what God's word said about me or how valuable I was to him. I had become very, very complacent in my relationship with God, and I was very bitter at my life. In trying to fill the void, I went back to school to get my nursing degree. And during this time, uh, my brother uh, passed away, and that seemed to... Gosh, that doesn't normally hit me, and that kind of hit me right there. And this uh, seemed to push my bitterness to another level. I'm sorry. So I began to question God and if he was real. And I wondered why it was so hard to feel loved by him. And I made a decision that if this is who God was, that I didn't want him. And I intentionally walked away from him. I also began to ponder if I wanted to stay in my marriage. And I thought there might be a better life out there and that I had made a mistake of getting married so young. I began to get my identity from my job and enjoyed the attention that I got from men and flirtatious banter at work. Gosh, I'm sorry. Um, I pondered on thoughts of being married to someone else. And where your heart is, your actions will follow. In March of 2010, I went to Haiti to help with the earthquake victims. And I would like to say that my motives were pure. But I was seeking to feel more important than I was to minister to the people that were suffering there. My life and my heart had become extremely self-centered. I felt needed and important, and I could not see how ugly my behavior really was. And after engaging in drinking and flirtatious behavior, I had an affair the last week that I was there. I dreaded coming home, but I knew that I had to tell Everett. And at this point, I was very confused about what I had done. And when I confessed the affair, the pain that I saw in Everett's face was horrible. I had crushed him, possibly beyond repair. He couldn't sleep, we didn't know where to turn for help, and we were completely hopeless. Yeah, so after I found out about the affair, I was devastated. So much emotion and pain 
Worthlessness, rejection, and betrayal were just a few of the emotions that were dominating me. I didn't know how I could get through it. I made a quick decision that it was over. I would never be able to trust Emily again. The next several months were spent with me lashing out in extreme anger because I couldn't and because I couldn't control my outburst, we separated twice. During this time, I began to process um, my feelings. It wasn't easy, um, to say the least, but I started to realize I had placed too much value in what others thought of me, especially my wife. I believed that Emily had rejected me in such a harsh way because I had lacked something. I later realized that her choices um, I later realized that her choices were because she didn't get her value and worth from Christ. That being said, I saw how I was falling short, way short of being the husband that God wanted me to be. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And although her confession was painful, it was the first step towards healing in our relationship. Hold on. So the night that she came and talked to me and, and confessed to me, I left that night and I went to a hotel and I, I parked behind this hotel and I was just like, man, I was just crying. You know, I was broke and I was like, what am I going to do, man? We got kids, we got all this. And I was, I was sitting there and I was like, God, what is the deal? And it was really the first time that I was just completely raw before God and and it's like I heard like the little voice of the Lord just speak to me like, what if some of the issues in your marriage are because of you? And I was like, what? You know? But really, it was really the first time in our whole entire time of being married that I actually looked at myself, kind of drew a circle around myself and said, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm acting out, you know, in a way that I shouldn't be. And it was the Lord. It was just the Holy Spirit beginning to work on my heart that maybe I needed to change something. So at one point, after much self-examination, I was ready for a change. I knew I needed Christ, and I was willing to do whatever it took to keep my family and move back in the right direction with God. I told Everett that I was committed to him no matter what. I can't say that I felt like being in an unhappy marriage, especially in light of his anger towards me. But God's grace showed up. And this was the beginning of me realizing that you don't live according to your feelings, but you live according to truth in God's word. I decided to make an unwavering commitment to my marriage, no matter the cost. I had messed up big time, but I was going to start trying to make right choices now. This is when a great friend invited me to re-engage and told me there were several couples that were in the same boat and that there was hope. She told me that these people were real and transparent. I told Everett about it, and he was willing to go. Our first night was terrifying, and I thought people were going to know what I had done. I felt like I was wearing a big scarlet letter. I was completely covered in shame. But God showed up, and uh, actually, Raul and Susan Cox shared their story with the group, and I was able to connect with the similarities of our situation, and it gave me hope. I had never heard anything like that before, Uh, especially in public or from a pulpit. (laughs) I left thinking that maybe we could be okay and that maybe we could even have a happy marriage. We started an open group, and God always put the right people in our path. Our open group leaders were a great encouragement to us. We were starving to get better, so we did not hold back hardly anything at all. 
We told our story right away. No one judged me, and no one judged Everett. We were 100% accepted and loved, and we eventually joined the closed group. And I came to see that my identity was completely wrapped up in Everett and everything else besides God. And I found that I was trying to please people more than God. I realized that my emotional outbursts and aggressive way of dealing with conflict were terribly damaging to this man that God had given to me. Our leaders were faithful, even to the point of being exhausted with me, uh, to point me towards Christ over and over. Yeah, so the first night, the first night of re-engage, we were asked to rate our marriage 1 to 10. I gave us a .5 just so Emily couldn't rate any lower than me. I was like, I know she's not going to put zero. So I was like, 0.5. Because I knew she'd probably put a one. Anyways. <clears throat> that night, Rawl and Susan did share their story. It was very similar to ours. And I couldn't believe it. Actually, that night I chased Rawl down in the parking lot. And I asked him out there at the parking garage. I said, um, man, are you, are you for real? I said, have you really... Have you really forgiven your wife? And he said, the truth is that he had forgiven her. And it was possible because what he did is he realized how much he needed forgiveness from his wife. And it, it, like he had messed up so bad. And I was like, man, what is this guy talking about? I mean, and it was just, it was just the beginning of the process of, man, God showing me, hey, you got to look at yourself. You can't look at her because, man, we're, we're all people and we all just fell and we need Jesus. And so he just really showed me Jesus in that statement. So he showed me it was possible to forgive. <clears throat> so we went through re-engage. Everyone in our group was quick to love on us and not to judge. Re-engage was our first introduction to what real community looked like. It didn't happen overnight, but relationships were built through continual reaching out and accountability when Emily and I would get stuck in conflict. So I began to learn and believe that God had forgiven me, even though it was understandably a continued struggle for Everett. I also began to see that Christ loved me and that although I would never be enough, he took care of that on the cross. Romans eight thirty eight to 39 says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate me from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither my fears for today or my worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate me from Christ's love. No power in the sky above or earth below, indeed nothing in all creation. This is my added quote here. Just even myself or my own doubt about his love for me will ever be able to separate me from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I believed that that was true, it changed my life. I began to understand God's grace and His mercy, and I began to see that I was beautiful and loved and perfectly made in Christ's eyes. He did not see my sin anymore, and for the first time in my life, He was enough. I could endure Everett's anger and his hurtful words while he healed. I learned how to make healthy boundaries for myself. And in the process, I learned how to love myself and to be able to love my husband in the way that God called me to. During closed group, I was encouraged to look at myself and not focus on Emily. The men in my group began to hold me accountable for my anger and unforgiveness towards her, and I began to turn to God's word for guidance. <clears throat> One scripture during this time that really impacted me was Colossians three, twelve. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I would do that for other people, but I didn't know that God was telling me to do that for my wife. But he he is. That's what he's calling us to do. And then it says to bear with each other and forgive whatever, whatever grievances that you may have one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I had to make a choice on a daily basis, sometimes hourly basis, to walk in forgiveness. So this was our story almost six years ago. We've continued to grow in our relationship with Christ. Sometimes we don't do great. Sometimes um, something we felt um, compelled to share tonight is it's not enough to do the right thing only during crisis, crisis mode. It's a constant maintenance. In order to be the husband or wife that we're meant to be, we need to make a daily decision to spend time in God's Word and to put ourselves around God's people. When we don't make time for that, we can easily find ourselves in old patterns. So when we found ourselves at Reengage, we were totally hopeless. And if you're feeling hopeless tonight, I just want to tell you that if God did a miracle in our marriage, that he can completely do a miracle in your marriage. I promise you that. Um, He turned our ashes of a marriage into a beautiful marriage. And we still struggle, um, but we struggle well. Not every day, but we struggle well most of the time. And we're grateful to say that we... We love where our marriage is today, and we actually were talking about this because we we wrote this a long time ago. You know, when we first when all this first happened, and I looked at him and I said, "Are, are we grateful? You know, where our marriage is today, and do we love where our marriage is?" And just an honest answer tonight is, "We tonight today we don't love where our marriage is right this second because we have failed to maintain a few of these things." And so that's why we wanted to tell you that it's not just during the crisis mode that it's a constant constant maintenance of staying in God's word. And um, I just wanted to wrap it up with, there's just four things that John McGee, you know, always these little nuggets. And um, these are things that you can kind of always check yourself by. Number one, make a commitment to follow Christ. You can't do this without Christ. Number two, draw the circle around yourself and work on yourself. Number three, have community. Put God's people around you. We can't do it alone, and we're not meant to. And number four is to make a line-in-the-sand commitment, no matter what, to stay together. And uh, that's, that's kind of where we end, end this thing tonight. But uh, I just want to, I didn't want to get up here and say everything's perfect all the time. I wanted to tell you that we're real, and that I'm so thankful that we're not where we were six years ago. I remember Everett used to say, man, I just wish we were two years down the road so some of this pain would like ease up, you know? And um, so we are happy that we're six years down the road. I promise you that. But that, um, but we're just... It's a process, man, yeah. to stay committed and do the process. So thanks for letting us share, guys. Yeah.